they go up. They go up on top of this mountain, and who do they see there? The God of Israel. They see God, the God of Israel, and there was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And these beautiful words, they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. God desires to dwell with his people. First thing he says to Adam, don't eat of that, eat of this. You're going to eat the flesh of this lamb, you're going to come up and dwell with me, and we're going to eat together. This is Jesus' whole ministry. He goes and he sits at table, having fellowship with one another. Why? Because he desires to draw all people where? To his cross. He's desiring to draw you to himself. He desires to be near you, to behold him and to eat and drink with him. The Lord be with you. Psalm 50. The mighty one, the God, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes, or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. 
to one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your beauty that does shine forth through us out of Zion. Out of your Son, Jesus Christ, the light and the life of men. For the light has come. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. You reveal uh, who we are, Lord, in the light of your Son. We are sinners. We struggle to keep your commandments as we ought. We fail to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In your Son, Jesus, we see clearly who we are and who he is, the perfection of beauty, your love and your majesty given to us in the cross and in the power of the empty tomb. May we rest in what he has won for us. May we, may we rest today in the light of Christ who shines over all the darkness of our lives and brings the perfection of beauty from Zion right to our hearts, to our lips, and to our very souls, to nourish us and, and to sustain us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise, and we offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We call upon your name. We make our vows to you in this house, trusting in your mercy, which is new every morning, and standing in the light of your Son in whom there is no darkness at all. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, today is the sixth class of a 12-week class on a Lutheran theology of worship, but in particular we are focusing on the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of the altar. And um, we began with Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. Uh, we began by looking at the way that we worship, why the church worships the way that she worships, these forms and these sayings that we say every Sunday. Uh, we looked at that. Um, in particular, what the church is giving to us when we receive the service of the sacrament. When God comes to serve us with his son's body and blood, what are the things that we're saying? What are we doing here in this house? And we looked at the scripture passages. Because the way that we worship forms the way that we believe. And so I think the last two classes, especially the last class, we looked at the teaching. We went through the small catechism. We worship this way because we believe these things, right? That's why we worship the way that we worship. The church is passing down the teaching, the faith of the apostles. Um, but let, let's push it one step further further today, right? Um, you might say that I'm going about it in the opposite way, but we'll see. We started with the way that we worship. Why we worship that way? Because this is our faith. Why is it our faith? God's word, right? So now we're going to plant ourselves firmly in God's word. Now you might say, why didn't we do it the other way? <laughs> Why don't we start with God's word, then talk about why we believe what we believe, and then focus on why we worship the way that we worship. Well, lex orandi, lex credendi. It's, it's the, what you are worshiping ends up being what you believe. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to get planted in the word today. 
um, about why the church teaches this. Why do we teach this about the supper? What's going on here about the supper? Something I, I, I've been kicking around a little bit. Um, if it is true that the way that we worship forms what we believe, in particular, what we believe about the supper, well, then look at your life, do a quick scan of your life and how you've worshiped, in particular, when it comes to the supper. And how did that form you to believe what was going on there? Um, I think it was four years ago, I did, we did a survey at the church. Some of you might remember this. We, um, there was a question on that annual church survey where I put all the different elements of the service. And I asked you, uh, rank them one through five. What's the most important thing in the worship service? Do you remember this? Ah, there was a, it was on the back page of a sheet and there was, you know, did you love the hymns? Did you love newer music? Did you love the prayers? Did you love the sermon? Did you love the service of the sacrament? And you ranked, you know, one was like, that's what worship's all about. Gotta have it. Right? And three was like, eh. And then five's like, I don't really like that. <laughs> Which he's going to put that on prayers. Right? Um, and so this was four years ago. It was, you know, it was a, I'm using a lot, I'm using a lot of medical analogies because of my life is pretty much all in the hospital now. But this was like a blood draw. I was doing a blood draw of the church to see where people are when it comes to worship. What is it that they really enjoy and what is it that they don't like and what can we work on? And it was the second survey that we did here. So this was four years ago. And whenever I got the results back, it was amazing to me because there was 58 people who, who completed this survey and 58 people ranked one of those things as number one every time. Guess what it was? The sermon. Yes, Nina. The sermon was the most important thing. And I think like the hymns got like 32 number ones. Um, let's see. The liturgy that we used got like 36 number ones. I'm kind of, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but I do remember every single person put the sermon as the most important. Guess how many people put the service of the sacrament as most important? Fifty-six people did. That, that's why they come to worship. Sermon, service of the sacrament. Fifty-eight said sermon. Fifty-six put, yeah, the service of the sacrament. That's, that's why we worship together. And it was so encouraging to me. So I go off on this elders retreat, and we're pouring through these surveys, and we're looking at you know, what people, what they long for in worship. And I made the comment, this is great. I mean, this is a great blood draw. This is a great result. We got people yearning for the word of God and for the sacrament of God. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. And one of the elders said, doesn't matter who, said, well, I think people just put that because they know that's the right answer. They know as Lutherans, Word and sacrament is the most important thing. So they put it because it's the right answer. 
but that's not actually what's most important to them. And I thought, oh, we got something to work on then. Um, because why would someone not see the sacrament as just as important as hearing the sermon and the word of God? Well, how have you worshipped your whole life? Right? Is the sacrament something that's optional, that's just there every other Sunday or once a month? How is that going to form you to believe then? Right? And so that th these things matter because how we worship ends up impacting what we believe. And so the church, as we'll see when we get into our book, which we will get into our book, and I've been saying that for a month, but we're going to get there. The reason why I keep delaying is the book, it's all historical treatment of the church. It, I like being back where the word of God is. But once we get into the book, he's going to do a great job of showing us how the church used to worship through the early church into the later Middle Ages, during the Reformation, up to the 1800s, and then to today. And that'll be a good historical treatment. But the church has always been moving back to what the church has always done, gathering around the supper and the Lord's word and prayer every time they got, she gathered, which we see in Acts 2. Why? Well, because we're, we're wanting to form the next generation, right? For us, it might be too, it's too late. <laughs> We've been worshiping a certain way for 50 years. You're not going to change me, pastor. Fair enough, right? But the little ones among us, what do we want their eyes to see every Sunday? We want them to see Jesus. We want them to see, this is my body, this is my blood. We want them to worship this way so that as they grow up, it's not just a matter of, well, this is the right answer, so I'm going to put it. But it's actually in their souls and in their faith that they long to receive the supper when they gather. Um, and so that's why we're embarking on this journey. Uh, we're thinking about the generation behind us and the things that we want to pass down to them. Worship matters. It impacts your faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in Christ and where he's promised to be. So all of that to say we have to be in the word of God. It's only by the word of God that faith is created. So any explanation or reason that I may give you it's not going to cut it. At the end of the day, God works through his word. So I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to start in the Old Testament today. And um, we're going to be focused on eating and talking about eating. Um, what's the first command that God gives to Adam in the garden? Genesis 2. I want to find it. What's the first thing God says to Adam? This is Genesis 2. No one remembers off the top of their head? First. Yes, Tina. Right? Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 is the first recorded words that God speaks to man. Right? Genesis 1 is God speaking to all, all of creation. All of creation is formed by God's word. But the first word that God speaks to man is about eating food. <laughs> Right? What does he say in Genesis 2.16? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, these are his first words, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Right out of the gate, God comes to Adam talking about what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat. And we're going to see this theme of eating run through the entire scriptures. Um, In particular, I want to focus on Exodus 12 today, where we get the institution of the Lord's Passover. So let's look at Exodus 12. And um, the Lord is, you know, his people are enslaved in Egypt. And the nine plagues have happened. He's, he is, God is delivering his people out of slavery. And just before the 10th plague, we get the institution of the Passover in Exodus 12. And we're going to take a look at these verses, almost the entire chapter, and we're going to talk about them. Is everyone there in Exodus 12? Okay. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Why are we killing our lambs? We don't know yet. (laughs) Right? God says to kill a lamb at twilight. Why? We don't know yet. Okay. Right? Verse 7. Then you will take some of the blood, Tina, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Why are we putting blood on our doors? We don't know yet. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We don't know yet. Verse 8. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Why are we eating the flesh of this lamb? Say it with me. We don't know yet. (laughs) Why are we killing the lambs? We don't know. Why are we putting the blood on the doors? We don't know yet. Why are we eating the flesh? Don't know yet. God commands his people first what to do, and then explains why you're doing it, which is interesting. Um, the disciples had to have been thinking the same thing the night of the Passover when they're, in the, when they're in the upper room. Take, eat, this is my body. Why? You don't know yet. <laughs> this is how the Lord always works. He commands his people what to do and then tells them later why they're doing it. Uh, Genesis 12 to Abram, he says, uh, Yom Halak, go, Abram, to a land. And Abram, he just goes. Why is he going? He doesn't know yet. <laughs> right? 
It's by faith. It's by faith that you go. It doesn't work the other way where God sits down and explains everything to you first so that then you realize, oh, this is why I'm doing it. No, God speaks. Abram, go. Get up from your land and go. Okay, here I go. Why am I? Nope, just keep going. Okay, then he hears the promises, right? So here in Exodus 12, same thing. Kill a lamb, put the blood on, its, on your doors, eat its flesh at night. Why? The people don't ask why. They just don't know yet. And so they go. And then the Lord explains, right? It always begins with God's word. There's no questions asked by the faithful. They just go and they do it. This do in remembrance of me. Why? We don't know yet. Right? world thinks that we're crazy when we act this way. When you just follow God's word without asking questions, the world thinks you're crazy. It's the world that wants to ask, well, why first? Tell me why I'm killing the lamb, and then I'll make the decision on whether or not I will. Tell me why I'm putting the blood on my door first, and then I can make the decision whether or not I will. No, 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 no. The Lord's word runs the show. And as, as the faithful, we follow it. Not blindly. We're not following his word blindly. We have his word. That's what we follow. If God didn't speak, well, then you would be following blindly. But he speaks. He provides clarity. And so... Uh, kill the lamb at twilight, put its blood on its doors, eat its flesh that night. They're already all in. He hasn't even explained why yet. But just as the creation is created by his word alone and it's already all in, um, so God's people are too. We simply live by hearing the word. Once that word comes to my ears, I cannot help but start doing it, right? When the word says, I forgive you all of your sins, it's done. Okay, so the Lord starts first by explaining what they are to do, and then he explains. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you will burn. In this manner, you will eat of it. So now he tells you how to eat it. You still don't know why you're eating it, but this is how you will eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. The same description Jesus tells his disciples when they go out with his word, right? Your belt fastened, your staff in your hand. Don't take a money bag, right? Same, same language. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So there you go. There he starts to explain it. It's the Lord's Passover. So now we're given a word. The Hebrew word for Passover is Pascha. Pascha. It's the word that we get Paschal from. The Paschal lamb. Pascha means sacrifice. It's the Lord's sacrifice. It's the Lord's um, sacrificial atonement. There's a sacrifice that's going to be made. And what's the sacrifice being made here in Exodus 12? A lamb. Yeah, a lamb is going to be sacrificed. Its blood is going to be put on the door. 
and you're going to eat its flesh. But why? Still don't know yet. We don't know. Then we find out why. Verse, verse 12 is the Lord telling us why now, why we're doing this. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Therefore, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Who sees the blood? Yahweh. When, the, when I see the blood, when Yahweh sees the blood, he will pass over you. So there's something about that blood of this lamb that satisfies God's wrath. When he sees the blood, he passes over his judgment upon you. Verse 14, this day will be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. That word for memorial, um, it's the same word in Hebrew, zakar, for remembrance. It's a remembrance meal, a memorial meal. A same word Jesus uses when he institutes the supper. This do in remembrance of me. Um, it's a remembrance meal, a memorial meal, a day when the Lord remembers his covenant to who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. This is, a, I mean, when we come up to the table Who's remembering who? This do in remembrance of me. And I think we've talked about this. There's kind of three different areas of remembrance here. There's the us remembering the Lord and what he has done for us. Then there is Jesus remembering us. And then there is God the Father remembering his son, Jesus. And, you know, the way that I like to put it is, when you're standing before God on the last day, who do you want God to remember when he looks at you? Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and when we, when we celebrate the supper, and we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 11, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's an act of standing before the Lord until the day that he comes, this last day, this judgment day, it's happening there too. Who do we want the Lord to remember in this meal? Jesus. And so all three of those things are wrapped up in this word. Um, there's a lot there, but suffice it to say that when God remembers, he acts. Right? He, he does things for his people. When he remembers Noah and the ark, he sends the waters away. When he remembers his people in Exodus, Exodus 2, 23... Let's look at that verse because it just came to my mind. Exodus 2, 22 and 23. Um, how did this whole thing begin in Exodus? God's deliverance of his people? It started with God's remembrance of them. Um, look at Exodus 2, 23 and 24. I was one verse off. 
During these many days, the kings of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Same word, zakar, God remembers. Look at, look at Genesis, um, 8, Genesis 8 verse 1, right, right after the flood, God remembers Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And what happens when God remembers? He immediately springs into action, right? A wind blows over the earth and the waters subside. And then look what happens with God's remembrance. He puts a memorial sign in the air. What's it called? Genesis 8 verse um, 8. Or no, sorry, Genesis 9 verse 8. Right? I'm going to establish a covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a, fl a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters will never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I'll see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God creates these memorial or remembrance signs that causes us to remember. When I see a rainbow, what do I remember? God's promise to me, right? God's never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. But also when he sees, he says, when I see it, I will remember. It's a two-way street of communication. It's speaking to us. It's also speaking to the Lord. And when the Lord remembers, it's not like you and I, when we, when, when we remember, where it's like, oh, I, I forgot I had that appointment at 9 a.m., and now I remember it, and I had forgotten it. No, when the Lord remembers, it's an action. He actually does something, right? Um, his remembrance leaps into moving the waters away, bringing his people out of slavery, going to the cross to die, on the sins, die for the sins of the whole world. Um, so this is a day of remembrance. Back to Exodus 12, verse 14. I'll stop there. Any questions so far, these first six verses of Exodus 12 or 8? So verse 14, this day will be for you a remembrance day, a memorial day. You will keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you'll eat unleavened bread. On the first day you will remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. 
In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses calls the elders of Israel and says to them, okay, so Moses has, re- has received from the Lord the Passover, and now he's coming to give to the people what he has received from God. He says, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan, to, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. <laughs> Whoa. Did you, I mean, it's amazing here in Exodus what the Lord is setting up. Look at John chapter uh, 19, John 19, 28 through 29. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What do they use with the Passover lamb to spread its blood over the door? A hyssop branch. What is John wanting you to see in the crucifixion of, of, of Jesus? A connection back to what? The Passover lamb. It's John the Baptist. This is how John starts his gospel, who says, Behold, what? The Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He wants you to see from the very beginning that Jesus is the Lamb of God. What Lamb is he? The perfect Passover Lamb, whose blood will atone for the sins of the whole world. And the sacrifice will not need to be done every year, but once and for all. A sacrifice that will atone for all the sins of the whole world for all time. See the images. See the imagery. Back in Exodus, they're killing a lamb without, without blemish or spot. They're dipping hyssop branches in its blood, and they're covering their doorposts with the blood. And John's taking you to the cross, and he's bringing you back to that Passover meal. See the soldiers dipping hyssop branch and, and spreading it up to Jesus who thirsts and his blood being poured out for the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Back to Exodus. So they're taking a bunch of hyssop, they're dipping it in blood that is in the basin, and they're touching the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What is it that the Lord sees that causes him to pass over? It's not your good works. It's the blood. When I see the blood, there's something about that blood in that Passover lamb that causes God to relent. He's holy. His judgment will come. You cannot stand in his presence 
if you are unholy. He is just to destroy us. The destroyer will come into your home unless what? There's blood there. And not just the blood of anyone, but the blood of a lamb without blemish or spot. Why? Why are we doing this? God says so, yeah. But we'll see why as we keep reading um, and we get to Matthew 26 here, that there's a reason to all of this. There's a reason why God is providing these means and doing these things. Is it already tin till? No! No! Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, let's finish up Exodus. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so um, we'll skip. So they get the hyssop branch there. We'll skip down to verse 27. This is an important verse. You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord. It is the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. That is worship. They're receiving from the Lord what he's come to give. They're bowing their heads and they're worshiping him. The people do this throughout Exodus. Moses comes with a word from the Lord, and it says they bow their heads and they worship. They say, all that you say to us, Moses, we will do. Right? They've received from the Lord um, what he has come to give them. The Pascha, the Paschal Lamb. Um, this is what the church calls the Feast of Easter, the celebration of the Paschal Feast. Why do we call it that? Remember, well, on Easter we're actually remembering not just death, but resurrection. Yes. The life of the blood gift that Jesus' blood gives to us. Very good. And when is this lamb to be sacrificed? Uh, let's go back to verse 6. When are, when's the lamb supposed to killed at twilight between two evenings in hebrew the lamb is to be killed between the two evenings so what's so look at john uh chapter 18 verse 26 when he's detailing the crucifixion of jesus he's the one who provides us a timeline and when is jesus turned over to Pilate? the beginning of the day at twilight right he's between the two evenings um john 18 26 Oh, yeah, 1828, sorry. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, right? He wants you to see that this is the Lamb of God. Okay, um, we're going to have to stop there today. And then we're going to go from Exodus next week to Matthew and the institution of the Lord's Supper and the language that our Lord uses when he is celebrating the Passover. And we're gonna wrestle with the question, what's the connection between Exodus 12 and Jesus's institution of the supper? Is there a connection there? And what is it? And what does that mean for us? Um, And why does God do, why does he go, why does he go through all of this? What's the whole point? Why give you this Passover lamb? Why the blood on the door? Why? Yes, God desires to draw near to you.
It's the whole point of pulling his people out of slavery and bringing them to Mount Sinai so that he can come and dwell upon the mountain, bringing his people near to him. God desires to commune with you. He desires to dwell with you, to be near you. But you can't be without his blood. But God's desire is always to come down and be with us, to abide with us. It's, it is his desire. It may not be our desire. Even while we were enemies, what Christ died for us, Paul says. You see this in Exodus. Um, we'll end here. I didn't put it down on my sheet. It's Exodus 24, I think, from memory. Look at, look at Exodus 24. All right, God is on Mount Sinai. His holy presence is dwelling. He's giving the law, the Ten Commandments. And look at, look at this in verse 9. Right? Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel, they go up. They go up on top of this mountain. And who do they see there? The God of Israel. They see God, the God of Israel, and there was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And these beautiful words, they beheld God and they ate and they drank. God desires to dwell with his people. And what does he continually come to do to to give to his people. First thing he says to Adam, don't eat of that, eat of this. You're going to eat the flesh of this lamb. You're going to come up and dwell with me and we're going to eat together. This is Jesus's whole ministry. He goes and he sits at table having fellowship with one another. Why? Because he desires to draw all people where? To his cross. Right? He's he is desiring to draw you to himself. He desires to be near you, to behold him and to eat and drink with him. Um, and he institutes this very mean, the, the very means of doing that, which we'll get to next class. You said we were going to end five minutes ago. Let's end. <laughs> I have a video. Um, we'll pick that up next time. He'll, he'll bring us back up. Let's end with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, everyone.